Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome uh, to Church in the Valley. My name is Alex Barrett, and I am the campus pastor here, uh, like Barry mentioned, for about a week and a half longer. And next Sunday, uh, during the service, I'm going to pass the uh, the leadership baton uh, to Jeep Underwood. Jeep, raise your hand. He's right there. Uh, Jeep's a longtime member of uh, Church in the Valley. And so next week, we're going to actually celebrate and officially uh, pass the leadership baton from, from me to, to Jeep. Uh, we do that really uh, overall to recognize that we, we serve God and, and God alone. And so we really want to celebrate what, what he's done among us and also uh, look to him as we face really the unknown future, because none of us knows what the future is going to hold. And so next week is really about what we do know, and then really trusting God in faith with all the things that we don't. And so it'll be a great time to look ahead to what God's going to do, and also at the same time, look back on on what he's done. So I I encourage you to, to attend next week. I think it'll be a great celebration. And really an encouraging time to, to look ahead to where does God want to take uh, this church. And so next week that's going to be happening. And then today uh, I am just speaking kind of a one-off message. Usually we do message series here at Church in the Valley, which is uh, usually like three to four week sermons that are connected. Well, today is just a standalone. And uh, part of that is just with the summer and all the things in and out. I, I've actually taken a break from speaking the last few weeks. And so I wanted to thank uh, the different men that have spoke, um, for us. And so, uh, it kicked it off with Neil. Neil, if you could raise your hand, Neil's right there. Neil kicked it off. Thank you, Neil, for doing that. And then, uh, we had Jeremy Walker after that. Where's Jeremy? Is he in here? He's in, where is he? He's working. He's serving. He's, he's on the first impressions team. There he is. There's Jeremy. Thank you, Jeremy. Right there. Uh, after, and he's asking John, what, what am I raising my hand for? Um, and then after that was John Rickert. John's right back there as well. Thank you, John. And then last week uh, was Jeep. And so thank you, Jeep. Jeep's going to get a lot more used to that. And so I, I know uh, for me it was encouraging to, to listen uh, to those men. Thank you guys for taking the time to, to speak uh, to us. So today I want to talk about a message called A Love Motive. And it's really going to be focused on uh, motivation and how do we... If you're a Christ follower, how do you stay the course of doing what God's uh, called you to do? But anytime we, we talk about motivations, there's different things that, that motivate us. There's different things that, that get us kind of fired up, ready to, to, to face the day. How, how many of you are, are coffee drinkers? Anyone? How many of you would say like coffee is a motivation in your life? I, right? Like if you're a coffee drinker, you understand what I'm about to say, but there's a part of like where it just, Stuff doesn't feel right unless you've had a cup of coffee, right? And then there's others of you. How many of you got like, you can't stand it? Like you just can't stand coffee. Yeah. And you're, you're thinking, why would anyone waste their time sipping that tar-like substance? And you're really motivated to never drink it at, at all. But coffee and, and different things become these, these motivations where it just, if I just have that, it will help me to, to move forward. And that, that's different for different people. If I could just go shopping, I'll be more motivated. If I never go shopping again, I'll be motivated. That's a men and women difference right there. Okay, But different motivations land differently. I've, I've been going on uh, bike rides with, with our kids over the last few years, and one of my son's bikes, uh, the chain uh, comes off quite a bit. It's just it's kind of an older bike. And it's not funny, but if you've ever seen somebody ride a bike without a chain, talk about motivate. One, you're motivated to hopefully stop. But as you see people spin or those pedals without a chain, there's a lot of movement going, but nothing is happening. 
And a lot of times that's how life is for us. We want to do things. We want to move forward. We want to progress. We want to grow. But it feels like we're people that live without the chain on in our life. It's just, it's often we just are pedaling. There's a lot of movement. But there's not a lot of progress. And that, that's really how life is. There's oftentimes things that we wish we could do, but we can't. And we find ourselves unmotivated. So I was thinking to myself, what are things that cause me to be unmotivated? See if, if any of you relate to these. If you do, just kind of just raise your hand up just halfway if, if this resonates with you. How many of you are unmotivated when you're tired? Every one of your hands should go up, right? <laughs> like sleep is like a real thing. We need sleep. When we don't have sleep, oftentimes we're tired and we really just struggle to do the things we need to do. Okay, what about this? Um, how many of you get unmotivated by failure when you fail, you're unmotivated? That's me, big thing. You, you really want something to happen and it doesn't happen and you're unmotivated. I recently, we moved and in lieu of planting this church and I'm now a gardener again. Where I was living in Alhambra, we had a gardener. Now I don't have a gardener and I am the gardener. And one thing that, that just really demotivates me are sprinklers because they never quite seem to work. And right when you get them to work, you don't have the coverage and you see the dead spots in the yard. Anyone relate to that? Right? And right when you get, thank you, there's like three. I Thank you guys. Thank you. Um, but, but it's like that thing, like I was working so hard and then I turned the sprinkler on and it just, the whole top blew off. And it's just old faithful geyser in the backyard. That's very unmotivating. And it's like failure, even in stuff like yard work can just, oh, I have to keep working at that. What about this? Uh, you, you have expectations and they're not met. And that, that really demotivates you. You have a certain thing that you want to happen. It doesn't happen. Does that demotivate you? I know that does for me. There's an expectation. And then what about this? What about the grind of it all? The mundane? How many of you are unmotivated by just the stuff that you have to keep doing again and again? And it just feels like it's never done. Right? That's life. All of us experience that. And so what you discover in life, we talk a lot about motivation, but at least in my case, and I'm sure it's similar to you, there's actually tons of things that are unmotivating. There's things that as we try to make progress, it feels like we just, we can't get ahead. We're just spinning those pedals. What I want to talk about today is, is what happens when you enter in a relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Now, if you've never done that, if you've never decided to follow Christ, that means to give your life to him. He leads you now. He's your boss. If you've never done that, I hope this can paint a picture of the life that God wants to call you in as you follow his son, Jesus. If you have done that, and you can look back and you say, yeah, I decided to follow Jesus when I was this old or during this time in my life. If you've done that, I hope that today will be a reminder of the life that God has called you to. Because for me, I, I need the right reminders and I need the right Motivation. So I want to talk with about some scripture and I'm going to be uh, pretty much today all in the book of second Corinthians, which is written by Paul who started a lot of churches in the first century. He was somebody that was really going his own way and was motivated by things not really important to God, not really important to Jesus. And God got a hold of his life and he changed it and his life switched and his motivation switched and he made a real impact on Christianity. And he starts uh, in kind of the middle of this book by giving this, this picture of the life that he has experienced in Christ. 
And he's doing this to kind of wake us all up, all who hear it, and they're like, yes, this is the life that I've been given. So I need to live it differently. And so you'll see it up here on the screen. And I'm just going to walk through it. It says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So the beginning of this, for Christ's love compels us. The word compel is this imagery of somebody stronger grabbing somebody that is weaker and fallen down and picking them up and moving them forward to where they need to go. And that's really how life is for us without Jesus Christ. We're fallen down. We want to keep moving, but we do not have the power and the energy to get up. We cannot do it within ourselves. We don't have the resources. We don't have the means. We don't have the wherewithal to know how to actually take the step forward. Now, we can all have different accolades and we can all have different things that we work for. But in the the grand scheme of the life God calls us to, without the love of Christ, we're just falling down. And so what Paul is saying is Christ's love picks us up and moves us ahead. We were weak, but because of Christ, as we turn to him, his love now compels us to live a different kind of life. And you can see that different, if you go back to that previous verse, you can see the different life. Because we are convinced that one died for all. That's talking about Christ. Christ died to pay for our sin. The fact that we're fallen and broken and can't fix ourselves is because of sin. But Christ's love picks us up because he died for us. Not just for me or you, but for all. And therefore, all died. So if you follow him, you can too turn away from your brokenness and experience real restorative life in Jesus. That we who live should no longer live for ourselves. And then go to the, the next verse there. So what does that mean? This is what Paul says. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Uh, what, what he's talking about is, is the labels that, that we have for ourselves, uh, the labels that we have for people. That, that's a worldly point of view. It's, it's worldly labels that we categorize people. Some of those could be friends. Some of them could be family. Some of them could be weird. Some of them could be strange. Some of them could be rich. Some of them could be poor. Whatever label we look at somebody and we kind of attune their value based on things that we see or based on what we know about them. For us... Depending on your background, the label you have yourself can really be defeating, like failure. Can't get ahead. Can't change. And you really battle that, that message that you tell yourself. Or you had somebody that, that has told you that. Or you yourself have done that. And we, worldly point of view, we, we put people in a category based on what we see or based on our experience. What Paul's saying is when you have the love of Christ and it picks you up and it moves you in a different direction, you actually don't need to categorize people any longer. What Paul is talking about is an experience that he himself had. He was going his own way, doing his own thing. And on the road to Damascus, that was a road he was on. God got a hold of him and said, like, you're no longer going to do that. You're not going to persecute me. You're going to live for me. You're not going to rebel against me any longer. You're going to live for me and you're going to make a difference for my kingdom. And his life was changed forever. See, a Christian is somebody, when you've decided to follow Christ, you've had an experience with him where you've sensed that love that has compelled you to live differently. 
For me, this happened my freshman year in college. I grew up in church and I played the game of Christianity, meaning I knew what to say and I knew how to appear like I had it all together, but really it was pretty fake. That was the game. The appearances, I could make it seem one way, but really I was living a different way. In my freshman year, the wheels started to fall off my life because I realized like, when you're, you're not real, and people don't know who you are, and when you play games with God, you're just, you're just falling on the ground. Like, there's, that's, that was my life. I was lonely. I was disgusted with myself because I knew I wasn't real. I wasn't authentic. I wasn't genuine. I had no real friendships. And everyone talked about college. Like, college will be the greatest experience of your life. And like two months in, I'm like, this is terrible. Because for the first time in my life, you know what happened? Life caught up with me. Some of what I had sown, I was reaping. And I was devastated. And God, God spoke to me one night in my dorm when I was all alone. And everybody was hanging out with their friends and their people. And all I had was the Lord Jesus. I was broken. And God said, if, if you continue to play games with me, this will be your life. This is what it will look like. You're going to be alone. And you're going to be broken. And right then and there, I thought, this is not the life that I want. And what the, in that moment, what it was, it was a father and his love picked me up. You're not going to do this anymore. From that point on, I changed. Not because I had this great epiphany, but because God gave me a glimpse of the love that he had for me and that it was better than the life that I had. And that's what Paul's describing. When you're compelled by Christ's love, your life changes. And then you see people differently. And then he goes on to even describe this further in 2 Corinthians 5.16. Therefore, Or 17, sorry. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. So right here, this is one of the most, to me, in my own walk with God, this is one of the most hopeful verses I have ever read. Because the old has gone is our past. It's our failures. It's all the things that we've done to sin against God. So if you can have an experience with God and Christ's love can compel you and you now will see things differently, you'll see things and people differently and then you can be a new creation where the old is gone and the new has come. There is this new hope and new life. To me, that is the greatest thing ever. This is what Paul's describing. You can now have a new motivation because you're not the same person that you were. And so in this, this book of Second Corinthians, he's, he's trying to like lay it all on the line, like give this vision and perspective. And it seems like if this were all the verses that were written in Second Corinthians, this would be really helpful. Okay. Christ's love compels me. I live differently. Because I live differently, I see people differently. And I'm a new creation. And that's the end. Yes, we're all new creations. Now go and do it. Doesn't that just sound awesome? But the problem is, even as Christ's love compels us, we are still a mixed bag of motivations. We still have things that we want as well. So here's here's kind of the usual thing for me. I want Christ's love, but I also want 
stuff. Like I, I like stuff. I want Christ's love, but I also want people to love me as well. I want Christ's love, but I also want fame. I mean, maybe not like I'm a movie star. I think that ship has sailed. But like, I want people to like me. I want people to know who I am, right? I think this is in all of us. There's a sense in which there's these motivations that we have. Like, yeah, we, we want to live for God, but at the same time, we're, we're all a mixed bag. And so what Paul describes in the rest of the book from his own life is the ministry motivations that comes back to this idea of Christ's love. And if you are a follower of Christ, you have to keep coming back to the fact that you live not because of your own internal motivations. You live because Christ's love has picked you up and put you in a different direction. If you're not a Christian and you've not decided to follow Christ, if you keep hitting that wall of your own self-effort and you're not getting ahead, what Paul's describing is this is the way to move. You need a relationship with Christ. You need to choose to follow Him. Lay your life down for Him. Let Him lead you. And then you're that new creation. That's where the new comes. So the rest of the time I want to talk about if this is true, if we can be compelled by Christ's love to live differently, and we don't need to view anyone else with a worldly point of view, and we can be a new creation, then how do we continue to make sure that this love grows? Here's a disclaimer. The love grows not by like just buying this love tank and drinking it. Like that would be like so simple. I just need to grow in Christ's love and so we could tap into it somehow. It actually grows through things that are, that are difficult. Two main things. And I want to describe the, these are the ministry motivation. The first one is this pain. Pain comes to deepen our love motive. Now, I don't know about you, but this idea like new creation. You know, you picture like a butterfly just spreading its wings, a thing of beauty, and then it's pain. It's like the butterfly just got shot. That's what I think. That was pretty dark. I apologize. I don't know where that came from. But that's kind of what, what the scripture does sometimes. It's like you, you have this, this picture in your head of what the life of Christ looks like, but sometimes it's, it's not actually based in reality. It's, it's based in like this emotion or feeling. And what, what Paul's doing is saying, you're a new creation, but your new life comes through actually things that are difficult that God wants to use. And the first is, is pain. God uses pain in our life to deepen our love motive. The person that I love the most in the world is my wife. This past June, we celebrated 16 years of marriage. As I look back on those 16 years, we've had vacations, we've had lots of great times together. But what has deepened our love is not the vacations. We just went on one, we just got back. Great thing about a vacation, it starts and then it's over. It's temporary. You can't base love on that because it doesn't last. But I know what's deepened my love with Sam, my wife, is, is actually the hard things that we faced. Trying to figure out how to be parents. That's deepened our love for each other. Especially as we failed. 
trying to, to lead in ministry and lead a church, that's deepened our love to each other because the pressure and, and not knowing how to move forward, that's deepened our love. The way that we've, we've treated each other and when we've missed the boat and we've wronged each other and we've experienced pain because of what each other has done, that's deepened our love as we've made it right, as we've sought forgiveness and reconciliation. All these things that deepens our love. Because love matures and is, is actually made richer in the hard times. And here's, here's just the reality of life. It's in the moments of pain that you discover what's really important and who really loves you. That's how it is. You discover what's really important and who really loves you. And this is true in our relationship with God himself. Because what happens is life has pain. People bring pain. Our own choices bring pain. And what God does in the middle of that is he loves us. And that's where we really experience it. It's in those moments where you feel like you are all alone. It's in those moments where you feel like nobody understands or can relate to what you're going going through, which may be true. But it's in those moments that God's love is made real. Listen to how Paul describes this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So he describes God as the God of all what? Comfort. And the reason we know he's the God of all comfort is in the times of pain. Because when do you need comfort? When you face very difficult things, when you face painful things, when you face hurt, it's at those times with a God of all comfort, the Father of compassion, comes to you and lets you know how much He loves you. So when you have pain, we can run to many things. And people do. Look at this world. It's actually filled with people full of pain. And what do people do? Well, they, they run to relationships for fulfillment. They run to drugs to make them feel better. They run to alcohol to sedate what they're going through. They chase money, they chase fame, hoping that it can alleviate the pain and the emptiness that they experience. They're down on the ground and they think that money will pick them up. They're down on the ground and they think that a relationship will pick them up. What Paul's saying is it's the love of Christ that compels and it's the father of all comfort who comes to you and does it. So when you have pain, God is actually using that to deepen your love. So here's why. And it's found in this passage. Again, it could stop because it says he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. Then you see right here, what's the right up there? There's two words. So that man, sometimes you read that in the Bible and you're like, uh oh, without the so that you're like, I can just be filled with whatever he promised. You guys ever say that? Hopefully not like that. But those two words, so that, so we receive God's love and his comfort so that we can give his love and comfort. God's love is two directions always from us. I mean, from him to us and then from us to others. That's how it goes. 
So God is the God of comfort. But do you know God doesn't have physical arms? But you do. People aren't going to see God's face, but they'll see yours. So what Paul is saying is, he comforts us and he fills us with hope so we can extend that to those around us. So we can actually, with arms, wrap them around people and love them. With a face, smile and let somebody know it's going to be okay. Has that happened to you in your life when you face pain? And somebody's come to you and given you hope in the moment and given you compassion? God, you use that person in your life. He's the father of that. He's the father of compassion. And he uses that pain that you experience so you can also relate to others. So we experience his comfort. And then as we experience his comfort and we see other people that are in that pain, God wants to use us to extend that comfort to them. Some of you know this about me, but I'm, I'm from a broken family. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was four years old. The last memory I have of my biological dad was the day he left. Kind of a weird memory. I was four, and I remember looking up the stairs, and he had a toothbrush and toothpaste in his hand. And, you know, I'm four, and I thought, like, I wonder if he's going somewhere. Like, I was thinking he was going on a trip. So I asked my dad, I said, Dad, where, where are you going? And he says, I'm going out. And that was the day that he left. And that's the only memory I have of my biological dad, like, living with us. Fast forward, my, my, my mom remarried, and I actually was granted this godly stepfather who raised me. But because of that pain that I experienced, I think early on, I was young enough where it didn't, like, devastate me. But there were these, these moments in life where I just, you know, you ask the why, like, why did he leave? Why didn't he want to spend time with me? Why don't I have a relationship? You ask a lot of these questions. Some are helpful, some are not. What I realized is, is throughout my life, because of what God's done and through his provision, and through the person that he's made me, even through those pains, I now can extend that to people that face the same thing. You know, over half of marriages end in divorce now, which is devastating to me. It breaks my heart. But also that means is there are tons of kids and teenagers and adults that are broken because of that. But God doesn't want us to be statistics. He wants us to be people that even in pain, we can minister to those that experience the same thing. And so I, I want to just kind of park here just, just a moment. In pain, wherever us we are, we, we don't want to be there. And that's understandable. Pain is, is not enjoyable. But God can use it. And so I want to give you some things of how God may want to turn your pain into ministry. And if, if, you, if you're not yet a Christ follower, the biggest step for you is in your pain right now, if you're experiencing it, you need to invite God in to comfort you. That's what you need to do. Don't fight that. You need to invite God in to comfort you. Uh, if, if you are a Christ follower, here's some things that you can do. When the, when the pain comes, I need to. And here's just some things, and you'll see it up here on the PowerPoint. But if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. When the pain comes, I need to. Go ahead and put that first one up. Turn to God for help. 
I'm going to do this for the pressure as well. When the pressure comes, that's the next one. That's the same. Always when you face pain and pressure, when you face difficult things, the first thing you have to do is turn to God for help. Because that's where the help is. So you need to turn to Him for help. Uh, the second thing, when the pain comes, this is how God will deepen your love motive, is you choose forgiveness over bitterness. This is especially true if you've experienced pain because of what somebody's done to you. If somebody's caused this pain, you may have a battle the rest of your life with bitterness. But that doesn't have to be who you are. You don't have to be a bitter person. It will be a battle, but you can choose to forgive. And over time, God will allow you to experience joy again. But you have to choose to forgive the wrong that's done. The third is share my pain with with a trusted friend. Many times we experience pain and we're embarrassed by it because nobody wants to be broken. We all want to be put up together, right? When we go out, especially to church, sometimes this is the worst place. When you go to church, it's like, I want to just make it seem like I got it all together. But sometimes you actually need people to see your cracks. You're messed up. I'm messed up. So sometimes you just need to share the pain that you're going through with a trusted friend because the God of all comfort can use that person to comfort you. The next thing is you need to look around at those in pain. If you're experiencing pain and maybe you're coming out of it and you've seen, man, God really came through, there's other people around you that are in pain. They could be your neighbors. They could be your coworkers. They could be somebody that you see at the grocery store. There's people in pain all around. God wants to use your arms and your face to comfort them. This is related. The next one, ask God for opportunities to show comfort and love. You could begin your day. God, help, help me to, to find somebody that needs some comfort and love around me. Help, help, help me to see somebody who needs compassion. Send me to these people. And then the last one is to move forward in faith. So in the pain, not only do we want to isolate ourselves and not share it, but in the pain we also, oftentimes, we just want to stay where we are. Like it's a storm. And we just want to go to the cellar and just buckle down and, and not move. Actually, the Christian life is something you always have to move forward in faith. You have to trust God. Even when you don't want to get out of bed. Even when you don't want to see those people. Even when you don't want to come to church. Even when you don't want to open your Bible. Even when you don't want to pray. You have to move forward in faith, knowing that God will bring you out of that. So that's the first one. God wants to deepen our love motive And he does that through pain. The second one is he uses pressure. Pressure comes to anchor our love motive. Love, I don't need to say this, but is one of the most used words in language, no matter where you live. Love, love, love. We have songs about love. But love is also something that people understand the idea in a general sense, but maybe not in a real way. But what you find in the scriptures in 1 John 4.19 is we love, like we have the capacity to love because God first loved us. That's what 1 John 4.19 says. We love because he first loved us, which is actually related to that word motive. Motive means to move. Something moves because it has a point of origin. 
a force that started the movement. What the scripture is saying is, is love as a movement, everyone like, we just need to love each other. I think that everyone would say that. We just need to love each other. Well, if that's true, then it actually means we all need to turn to God because he is the origin and the point of love. Without God, there is no love. So really better it's we all need to turn to him. But you know, that doesn't really sound as good at like an office party. Like we all need love. Actually, you need to turn your life to Jesus. That's what you need to do. That doesn't end well, usually. But the scriptures, this sense of the, the movement of love had the point of origin with God himself. And so we deepen our love motive by turning to him. And do you know when we turn to him? Most of the time, it's not when life is going really well. It's when you are under pressure, stressed out, and overwhelmed. Because I think for all of us, we like to be self-sustaining people. And when life is going smooth, we just can coast along. But it's when the pressure mounts, we, we need help. And we need help in a desperate way. Paul describes it like this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul was was facing some dire, dire circumstances. And he's describing it as we were at the point where we just thought it was all over. And if you read the history of his life and you see in the scriptures, you can see from the beatings he endured to shipwrecks to disease. I mean, all sorts of stuff. Like life was not, from the moment he decided to follow Christ and he was compelled by his love, he faced tremendous hardship. But what he describes here is that hardship was used in the end for him to turn to God to give him the help that he needed. There was nowhere else for him to turn. And what we find in life is God puts you and God puts me in situations far beyond our ability. That's actually part of his strategy. Why? Because he wants you in those situations where you can't measure up and you can't do it alone to realize you need And the only one to help you is God. So in those moments of pressure, again, we want out of it as soon as possible. Nobody likes that. But what God wants them to do is say, I'm I'm here for you. I will help you. I'll give you the resources that you need. But you need to turn to me. See, if we're looking for somebody to use, you know, for a job, we look for some the most qualified. Well, when you're God, are we really qualified? No, we're, we're all very under par of his standard. But the great thing about him is he fills in that gap. And so if you face situations recently, have you guys been in a work situation recently where you're like, I don't know if I could do this? Yeah, right? Have you been in a relationship which there's just some history and problems and misunderstanding and wrong that's been done. And you're in this situation with this person. You're like, I don't, 
I don't know how this, how this is gonna work. Like there's just dysfunction, there's misunderstanding, and I've been in those situations where it's like, I don't, I don't know how this is going to move forward. So you, you see the space of your ability and what's needed to accomplish the task, to move forward. And what God is doing is allowing this space to exist for the pressure to mount so we will actually turn to Him. I found myself in situations far beyond my ability. Right? I, I don't know what I'm doing. And that's not the greatest place to be is you're like you're leading a family, you're leading a church, if you're leading anything. What should we do? Um, I believe um, I actually have no idea. You ever face that? There's just times you don't know what to do. All you feel is the pressure. But again, what God wants to do is take that pressure and use it so we will turn to Him. This anchors our love to Him. I've experienced this in my own life just recently as my oldest daughter, and she's older and trying to navigate. She's 11, almost 12, going on 21. You know, it's there's pressure. Like, how do I relate to her? How do I do it in a way that we have this good relationship, but I don't quite know how to do this? And there's pressure. I don't know. It's in those moments like, God, will you help me? And I turn to him. And oftentimes it's through his word that, that he brings that help. It's perspective. That's what I need. I need to see things differently. And he uses that pressure for my good. So if, if you're under pressure, here's some practical things for you. I gave you some things if you're in pain, but here's if you're under pressure. First one, I already gave you this one. Turn to God for help. You have to turn to Him. Sometimes God will actually use the pressure and He turns that heat up and He's just waiting for you to turn to Him. And He'll allow it to turn up some more. If you don't turn to Him, guess what He's going to do? Turn it up a little bit more. If you don't turn to Him, what is He going to do? Does your heater do that? Like when He keeps turning the heat up. He's waiting. So turn to Him for help. The next thing is slow down and pray. When you're under pressure, again, you don't know what to do. What do you need to do? You need to turn to God. God, I don't know what to do. Will you help me? I don't know how to handle this situation. All I feel is stress, and I feel like I'm just going to kind of crumble under this pressure. Will, will, you, will you help me? Give, me? give me insight into what I'm facing. Uh, related to that, this has been helpful in my life. The next one is... Get, get away from distractions. Sometimes what happens is we feel pressure in life. And you know what sounds good for us? I'm just going to binge watch a Netflix series. Come on, you've done it. Like you have immense pressure and you, you got to get stuff done. And there's deadlines on you and all you think is like, you know what? I don't have pressure. That doesn't even exist. I'm just going to have fun. You ever done that? In the moment, acting like it's not there can help you. It's still there though. You still have to do what's needed. And so you have to get away from the distractions, not run to the distractions. You get away from them. So if you're under pressure, what if you didn't 
be on your phone for a whole day. Some people, you're like, get him off the stage. I go, no, you can't do that. But what, what, what if you literally had no distraction from social media? You, you know, told people close to you, you know, we always think like, if I turn my cell phone off, the whole world's going to die and I wouldn't know. No, you'd know. You know, you'd know. But, you know, you just turned it off and just allow God to, to speak to you. Would there be as much pressure? I don't know. Uh, next thing is listen to some worship music. Now, these are just my ideas, okay? You, you have your own. Some of you are like, listen. For me, when I'm under pressure, sometimes what helps is just perspective of singing. Now, some of you are like, oh my goodness, I can't sing. I didn't say in a choir with people. Just do it by yourself. But you need perspective and something what, what, what is good is magnify the Lord's name. That's what worship is. You magnify it. You make it bigger. What's the problem with pressure? Everything in your life is big. How do you make that smaller? Well, you magnify God. So as God is bigger, the pressure is actually smaller. Worship helps with that. Read the scriptures. That's another thing. When you're under pressure, get some time to read the scriptures. I gave you some uh, on here specific to pressure, just perspective. Psalm 34, Habakkuk 3, Psalm 27, Psalm 23. Jot those down. Read them. If you're under pressure, these are helpful for me. And there's many others. But God's word helps alleviate the pressure. And then the last one is just like the last one of pain. Move forward in faith. I'm going to wrap up. I don't know how long I've been. I said two hours a couple weeks ago. I'm under that. But it's 1130. Uh, I, I just wanted to, to encourage you. The, the, these two things, the pain and pressure, again, we live in a time where we feel like we have rights to a, an easy life. We think that that's what we deserve. And I, I, I think that's a lie because to be a Christian is not a call to the easy life. It never was. The call to, to be a Christian is actually to take up your cross. It's, it's to take up the easy life and you, you actually kill it. It doesn't mean that, that the rest of your life is going to be awful. But it does mean that pain and pressure are going to be normal things that you'll face again and again and again. So I want to encourage you. There, there's some next steps today that you can take. And if you've never been at Church in the Valley or, or you're pretty new... Uh, we, we have these next steps each week. And this is just to say, based on what you've learned, don't just let it be knowledge, but actually put it into practice. And so there's three things you can, you can do, all of us. So take out your connection card that Barry had you fill out. Finish filling that out. And when I'm done, we're going to receive our offering, and you can drop that in there. If you have prayer requests, we'd love to pray for you this week. But there's three next steps. The first is, to memorize 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. This is for Christ's love compels. One thing that helps as we talk about motivation, we talk about moving forward is, is the truth. And so regularly memorizing scripture puts the truth into your life. The second is, um, I don't know if I have it on the, but this is like related to the pain and related to the pressure. So I gave you different steps that you could take when you face pain. So, you could just write that down. Is there one of those that you need to apply? 
And the, the last one's the same. Is there one of those next steps related to pressure that, that you need to apply? Just ask God. Like, God, what, what do I need to do right now as I'm facing this? Or in the near future, what, what is it that I, that I need to do? Ask God to speak to you, and, and He will. I'm going to pray, wrap up, and the, invite the band up, and we're going to receive our offering. Make sure you drop that connection card in there, and I'd love to pray for you this week. Let's pray. God, thank you for the love of Christ, which brings a whole new life to us. Because of him, we we actually can experience the newness that comes from following you. And because of him, the old has gone. And our past, and our brokenness, and our failures, they, they actually don't define us. But we can be defined by your love that picks us up and moves us forward. So God, you want to grow the love in us, and you do it through pain, and you do it through pressure. Help us to remember that in the pain and in the pressure. Help us to remember what you're trying to do in us and through us as we extend your comfort and love to those around us. So guys, God, just give us the eyes to see who you're moving towards us and how we can respond. In the name of Jesus, amen.